Hey, Green Future Growers. Welcome to Season 4. I'm your host, Jackie Marie Beyer. I'm here to help you create, grow, and enjoy your own organic oasis. I hope you'll subscribe for free on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And let's get growing. Help me support the gentle barn. So if you haven't heard my interview with Ellie Lax, which should be coming out any day now, if it, this was before that, um, Ellie Lax is this awesome woman who has created this animal sanctuary called the gentle barn. And not only do they help rescue animals that have been abused or neglected and bring them back to health, but they also invite people in to, um, help people who maybe are struggling with mental health issues or just, I mean, really anybody could go there. And I just think it's just such an incredible place. I, I loved her book. I love the story. I saw it on GMA. I reached out to her. They have an amazing Facebook page. Um, so I, my goal is to raise $620. I've signed up to do a five, uh, not a 5k, a 10k, which is 6.2 miles which is where I came up with the $620. So I'm hoping that you will support the Gentle Barn, help me support the Gentle Barn, and help me raise $620 to um, help them on their mission, which is just amazing. Supporting rescue animals, cows, chickens, goats, horses, dogs, ducks. I mean, just you name it. They do it all with love. Um, they're a great nonprofit, and if we need mental health in our country right now, I, I mean, I don't know what else we need more. So, thanks everybody. Welcome to the Green Organic Garden. It is Tuesday, March 8th, 2022, and I have an awesome guest on the line from across the pond. He wrote a book called The Vertical Veg Guide to Container Gardening how to grow an abundance of herbs, vegetables, and fruit in small spaces. So here today to dazzle us and to share his amazing wisdom. I mean, this book is really going to help everybody. I know people have asked me about growing in cities and urban gardening, um, but it's not just for them because like a lot of my listeners know, I was helping somebody last year and we grew a lot of her food in containers. So we are all going to learn a ton today. So here to share with us is Mark Ridsdale-Smith. Welcome to the show, Mark. Hi, Jackie. Hi. Thanks very much for having me. Well, we are. Su I'm super excited because I love your book. You sent me a, um, a copy, a, a pre-copy. You've got Chelsea Green Publishing to publish your book, who are my favorite publishers now that Dale's is gone. They moved up yeah. from number two to number one. And um, I just love, I, I just love everything about them and they always have such great authors. So I want to be quiet. Go ahead and tell listeners a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, um, yeah, I guess that my, my growing story is a little bit unusual in that um, I, I lived in, I lived in London and in my, probably my early thirties, I suddenly had this hankering to start growing food, but I, I didn't have a garden to to grow in and so in the um what we have in the uk i don't know if it's the same with you but we have this the system of uh, you can apply to get an allotment which is a patch of land that you can grow food on uh in your area and so i put my name down on the list in london and after about five years of waiting i thought well i must be near the top of the list and i contacted them only discover i had another 30 years to wait <laughs> so i was going to be in my Finger. 70s 30 years. I was going to be, it was just because it's a very busy, it's a very congested area, very, um, very high population area, and the demand just far, far outweighs um, supply. So I thought if I'm, if I want to grow food, really the only way I can do it is I'm just going to try and grow it on my balcony and my windowsills because uh, I didn't have a garden and I really honestly did not expect very much from it. So I was really just amazed when I discovered that. Um, we were actually starting to pick like a lot of food and my second year of doing it we i sort of weighed it i got out the scales and weighed all the harvests and calculated what they'd be worth for bought from from the shops uh, and it turned out they would be worth like about a, in the region of like a thousand dollars in the year 
um, and that's just like from a small balcony and uh, six uh, windowsills. But but as well as that, I discovered um, all sorts of other things. Like uh, one of the nicest ones was I started. I lived in a busy road in London, and you know it wasn't unfriendly, but I just didn't really know anyone. Uh, but as soon as I started growing food uh, out of the front of the house, people would stop and chat to me. Uh, and all sorts of other things. We started eating better and we started recycling all our waste food instead of chucking it out in a wormery. Um, so really, that's where I caught the bug and that's where I started Vertical Veg, really to try and support and inspire other people uh, to grow food uh, in small spaces in the city. Because I think a lot of people were like me, they just didn't realise, a lot of people still don't realise that it is possible to create an amazing garden uh, in a very small space. And it's becoming more and more, um, you know, as the price of food goes up, especially now with the price of gas, food's gonna, you know, climb even more, um, that people are going to want to read your book because like you were saying that you're growing this on about, I mean, the pictures are just gorgeous. It looks so cool, your place. Like even if you didn't live on a small space, a lot of these projects and, and things that you have going just look so pretty and inviting. Like I think people are going to want to um, do it. So Mark, I do always ask at the beginning of the show about your very first gardening experience. Like, was that it when you were 30 or like, were you a kid? Like, what'd you grow and who were you with? Oh, yeah, it's funny, actually, because I think a lot of people who, who come to gardening later in life do have some sort of earlier childhood memory of growing. And, and my one is that, well, we had a we did have a, an allotment as a family when I was a child. But my my main memory is I used to uh, we also had a small garden, a small town garden. And I used to I obviously had a thing about plants at that point. I don't remember that much, but I do remember that I used to wake up early in the morning before going to school to water the plants at the end of the garden with a watering can. And it was very unlike me to wake up early at that time in my life. So there must have been something special about it for me at that time. Did you have brothers and sisters? Uh, yes, I did, yeah. Younger brother and sister, yeah. But you were you the only one to wake up or did everybody get up? Uh, I was the only one to wake up early to do the watering. Oh, that's a great story. Uh, so tell us about something that grew well last season or maybe like, do you have stuff growing right now? In Like we have, we got fresh snow last night. I'm in Northwest Montana, which is like up by the Canadian border and the Rocky Mountains. And uh, we're just starting to put like seedlings indoors in some seed starter to get started, like tomatoes and peppers and things. Okay, yeah, so we do, yeah, so I'm at the similar stage here. I mean, we have got a climate in the UK where um, I'm in the north of the UK, which is the cooler part of the country, um, but but it's still just warm enough in winter that things will survive. So hardy things like kale, uh, rocket, uh, mustards uh, will survive through the winter. So I've got those in my containers at the moment. Uh, a few um, herbs like uh, rosemary oh. and things come through the winter as well. And the rhubarb is just coming up, which is uh, always exciting. So I'll be picking that, that next week. Do you have rhubarb in a container? Yeah, it grows well in a container. You need quite a big container. Um, I think the container I've got is about 50 litres, which is, what's that in gallons? 10 gallons, I think. Um, but it is great. It's so easy because it just comes back every year and uh, really sort of lush and healthy and you can pick it for four, five, six months and then uh, you just need to repot it every two or three years, divide it and repot it every two, two or three years and that's it. And it doesn't need very much. It's great for, 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 for homes with less sun um, and we use it for all sorts of things. We, make, we love rhubarb crumble, but I also make a... Uh, sort of spicy uh, relish out of it, which is really nice with um, uh, all sorts of things, cheese and uh, mackerel. But how do you make the relish? Like, do you put 
like what do you put in the relish how do you make it's that? just um it's really simple it's just rhubarb garlic chili and a few spices uh just sort of all fried up uh um together and it just becomes uh, like a nice sort of sweet and sour uh, mix and it goes really well with savory. In fact, I think it's nicer with savory things than it is with uh, sweet things. Mm, that sounds good and easy. So, you but you do actually cook it. Yeah, you do cook it. Yeah, yeah. So it sort of softens down. You put a little bit of sugar in, not much, because you just want to take off the real bitterness of it. Mm, that's awesome. I didn't realize that rhubarb, like our rhubarb, maybe it's because we don't water it where it is, but it's. I always thought it's just like. You know, it came up in the spring and and that was it. Like once you harvested it, then it was done. But maybe it's just because like where we have our rhubarb and uh yeah, I don't know if it's, good. if it's different varieties or what it is, but we can pick ours for I mean it's definitely the best in the spring, but it will keep going for um yeah, it will keep going for well until the early autumn. I mean I don't pick it from sort of late August, just to give it a bit, and I feed it as well, sort of mulch it with some worm compost just to help it get its energy back. Um, Does it bloom? Before it goes dormant, sorry? Does it bloom at all? Does it have like any flowers? Mine hasn't yet, but I think as it gets older, it might do, um, yeah, but it hasn't yet. I've, ne I've never seen a rhubarb that bloomed. Uh... So tell us about something like that you're going to try different next year, something new that you haven't done before. Oh, okay. That's a nice question. Um, well, one thing I really got into last year um, was doing foliar feeding of plants. I mean, I've done it for years, but I really got into it in a much bigger way um, last year. But one thing that I haven't really tried and I feel a bit ashamed that I haven't tried this actually, is I haven't tried making like a worm, like a tea, um, compost tea, where you mix sort of worm compost with water. And I think sometimes people add a bit of molasses and sometimes they brew it a bit um, to create a more sort of microbial uh, foliar spray. Um, and that is something that I'm really keen to, to try this year. <coughs> Sorry. Does a foliar spray mean that you're going to spray it on the leaves? If that's exactly, yeah. So it's really simple. It's just literally putting, um, diluting whatever uh, feed you're using in um, in water and then, uh, and then spraying it on the leaves and the leaves absorb the, absorb the nutrients. And it's really good for container growing because when you add feeds onto the soil, I mean, that's good. But if you keep doing it all the time, there's the possibility that you can disturb the balance of the nutrients in the soil. But when you're putting stuff on the leaves, um, the plants can absorb it directly from there, sort of as they need it, and you aren't going to be affecting the, uh, the soil at all. So it's just a, and also it's much easier for the plants because they can, you know, they can use it, often they can use it in the leaves, so it doesn't have to be transported within the plant at all. Mm, no, I didn't know that. Uh... Do you put that on like all your plants or just the vegetables or the herb or like, where do you spray that? Everywhere, <laughs> pretty much everything. Yeah, all the plants, they all like it. They all seem to really like it. Will you tell us about your wormery? How does that work? Um, I love my wormery. Uh, it works very much like a compost heap, except that the main difference really is that it is designed to be opt also provide optimal conditions for worms so a lot of compost heaps you get worms in but you probably don't have you probably have a fraction of the number of worms that my my wormery probably has i obviously haven't counted them but i would guess there are ten thousand or more worms in it and um the worms basically help to process the food that much faster and all the sort of tests that I've seen done um, seem to highlight that worm compost is more nutritious and more biologically active than uh, other compost. And the, it can be extremely um, beneficial. I mean, I mean, all compost is good for plants, but uh, a lot of people say that worm compost is, uh, is black gold, it's sometimes called, because it's, uh, it's, it's so good. So it's just a great way in a small space because 
you know, in like on a balcony or something, you can't really, or even in a small courtyard, it's not so easy to have like a compost heap, but a wormery is just a small box. I mean, mine is probably about three foot uh, by two foot, uh, three foot long by two foot wide by two foot deep um, uh, as a wooden box. And it's got like a wire mesh base to make sure that it's rat proof. Uh, but also to let air in through it. Um, and I just use that like a compost heap in my hand, all my waste food, uh, and then bits of uh, brown use like a lime and chop them up. Uh, and yeah, just leave it to get on with it in the same way you would compost. And then every sort of two or three months, uh, harvest uh, out the worm compost uh, from it. Sorry, Mark, you kind of like, I don't know, the internet kind of like, what'd you say? It has something started with a B on the bottom. Oh, a wire mesh base. Yeah, but um, did you say like, I don't know, like you put branches or something? It was something that started with a B, I thought. Oh, branches. So uh, twigs. Yeah, twigs and branches are sometimes put some, you know, putting browns into like you put browns into oh, compost, okay. uh, just tearing up some, some, uh, some twigs or some small branches uh, just to add some carbon and also some structure into the into the compost. I just love the pictures in here because I've been trying to get my mom to build a worm bin um, like right outside her patio door or her porch door or to keep in the garage in the winter to make composting easier for her. And in your pictures just make it look like aesthetically pleasing like I kept telling her we should get the plastic tote which you have the picture of that too but I think she would like these wooden boxes so much better and even though she has a compost pile well actually what she does is she like digs down in the dirt and buries her compost I just think it would be so much easier for her if she had it right outside her um her door and just, uh, I, I think this would be something, you know, like you have the picture of the wooden wormery that's attractive and it could double up as a bench. Um, yeah, I, I think, think I, I think wooden wormeries are fantastic. I mean, I've tried lots of different wormeries and I just think as well as looking aesthetically much more pleasing, um, they've got so many benefits because wood is a much better insulator than plastic and worms you know like to be at a more consistent temperature not too hot not too cold so it's great from that perspective the other great thing about a wooden one is you can make it any size you want to fit the space and a little bit larger than your average wormery that you the plastic wormeries that you buy they're a lot lot easier to look after so as i said mine's about three foot by two foot which is which is quite big and i just find them really just a game changer compared to the and compared to the sort of small plastic ones you buy so if anyone has the ability to make or buy a wooden worm bin i would really highly recommend that over 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 the plastic ones i know and they are so i mean i have one in my classroom that we kept underneath we had a guinea pig for a pet and we kept underneath her cage and it was just like it never smelled it was super easy i just don't understand why everybody doesn't have one and then like you said like People say that the warm compost and casings are just absolutely the best thing you can possibly have. So what's something that um, didn't work so well last season? Like, did you have anything that was like a challenge or didn't go the way you thought it was going to? Oh, there's always, aren't there? <laughs> there's always so many things. And I always think it's really important. Yeah, to, we had uh, all sorts of new challenges last year. Yeah. Yeah. It's always really important to, to talk about them. Um, gosh now but now it comes now it comes to i'm just trying to think what were the things which uh were <laughs> difficult last year um i mean the tomatoes got blight again which is always very uh disappointing isn't it when you uh you know you've grown them and they've done really well and you're just in the middle of picking them but but the interesting thing was actually that although they got blight i did actually manage to i did i did actually manage to keep harvesting them almost until for about six or seven weeks after they got blight, just kept them going. Taking Can you off describe the... what's blight? Is that like a disease on the leaves? Yeah, sorry, it's a it's a it's a fungal okay. disease which turns the leaves black, and it turns the tomatoes black, and it, it does really make the with when it moves onto the tomatoes, they are really pretty much, um, pretty much inedible. Oh. And what causes that? Is it from like 
not watering enough or like is it a bug or a pest or a disease or where does yeah, that it's you a, know it's a fungus which is in which sort of i think it's airborne uh, and it tends to uh plants tend to get infected in wet weather so one way that you oh. can protect tomatoes from blight is to put well to grow them under cover or in france you see people make these like little uh roofs these little tents quite sweet these little tents for tomatoes so but just the top is covered so water can't splash on the leaves uh and that really helps to reduce the chances of in of infection golden seeds mark you're sharing golden seeds with us today <laughs> so this is actually the part of the show where we call getting to the root of things. So like, do you have an activity that like is your least favorite that you kind of got to force yourself to go out there and do in the garden or in your in your containers? Uh, not really. Oh, I suppose I suppose tidying up tidying up is probably because I mean, one of the things about container gardening is, well, where I live anyway, is the I have some very enthusiastic gardeners besides me, which mainly have two legs and wings. And they go into my pots because I've got a lot of worms. This is one downside of having a wormery is they love hunting in my pots for worms. And when they do that, they scrabble around and they flick a lot of soil all over on the, <laughs> on the ground. Uh, and because it's, a, it's like a concrete ground, uh, it does get to look quite a mess. Um, so, you know, it, it was really good writing the book actually last year because I had a, a photographer come around a couple of times. A, a friend of mine actually lives down the corner, took, took the photographs, Claire Bowles. She did, did a fantastic job, I think. Um, but it was really great having her around because I had to tidy it, <laughs> I had to tidy it up <laughs> on a regular basis. And it just looks so much better when I do, when I sweep the floor and things. But it's something I always prefer to be doing something else, like sowing seeds or something rather than uh, rather than tidying it up. They are just beautiful pictures. They just make you want to like walk right into that space and just be right there and and check it out. Um, they definitely did a great job on the pictures. So on the flip side, what's your favorite activity to do in the garden? Uh, I like picking, picking things, picking stuff for supper. I love going out and seeing what is ready to eat that day, that evening. And then, and then picking something. I mean, there's just something I find going to the supermarket, particularly such a sort of, depressing one-dimensional experience with all the vegetables wrapped up in plastic bags you can't touch them you can't smell them you don't get if you have buy tomatoes you don't get the, the amazing smell of tomato leaves or with zucchini you don't get the sort of bristly feel of the leaf when you pick it or even the sort of skin when you sort of touch it when it's sort of fresh um and, and the sort of you get the the juices on your hands and the smell on your hands and I just find it a really sort of rewarding three-dimensional experience and to think that you know this is all being grown at home and then you take it inside to the kitchen and you cook with it and it all tastes so much there's so much different and so much better for you as well you can sort of almost taste it's better for you when you eat it um so I think that's probably my favorite uh my favorite part of uh, of gardening it's so true like we i'm lucky i hardly have to buy any produce between almost june and um like now like this time of year sometimes like august and it depends we didn't have a very good potato year last year so i've had to buy more potatoes than usual but my husband grows most of our produce and like being able to skip the produce aisle is just amazing. And then like, I was just thinking like, I just thawed some beet greens this week that I had frozen. And oh my goodness, I just, I just can feel like the nutrients going into my system and just my whole like sensation and body has been feeling different this week after I thawed those out. Interesting, um, isn't it? Yeah. It's interesting how you say you feel that. Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. Oh, it's just incredible. Like, I just, I guess I didn't realize, like, I haven't had any like Swiss chard or kale or any like kind of like 
leafy greens since maybe like Christmas when I put I had thawed some to make like lasagna. And so it's been like a month and a half almost since I've really had any kind of like super good, high quality, super nutritious because I just can't bring myself to buy that stuff at the grocery store. And so I eat lettuce and like salads, but they're just not the same. Like iceberg lettuce just does not have the same, you know, I, I can just like, even when I'm eating it, sometimes I'm just like, why am I even bothering to eat this salad? Like, I just don't feel like I'm getting what I get during the summer when we're growing our own greens. So anyway, Mark, how about, uh, what's the best gardening advice you've ever received? Oh, gosh. Uh, one of the things I've loved about gardening is how generous other gardeners have been at sharing their advice. And so many of those ideas in, that, in the book are ones which people have generously sort of shared with me and then I sort of tried them um, myself. But one which just popped into my mind when you asked the question is for growing in a small space, uh, uh, one gardener once said, the first thing you need to do, Mark, is think about your space in three dimensions. And I know that's really obvious, but it's really, I think it's really easy when you start in a small space, we just see the sort of flat levels. Whereas if you see it as a cube, you can start thinking about, or oh, I could put a hanging basket there. I could grow some climbers over here to make the most of this space. And, uh, and it's really good fun because then you're starting to sort of build up a sort of three-dimensional space. Uh, maybe grow some tall flowers to add some height and some color. Uh, yeah, so I just really like that idea of sort of three-dimensional gardening in uh, in a small space do you have any things that you think would surprise people that grow vertically that you think they normally wouldn't think would grow up uh like a wall or like on a taller you know container type of thing um i think people are some just trying to think of things that people are surprised so one crop I think people are often surprised grows well in the container is Jerusalem artichokes because people think of them as being a really mm -hmm. big fug-ish plant but actually you can grow them in a bucket sized container and they grow really tall um, they do really well uh, kiwis hardy kiwis uh, are, are very good if you've got a sunny space um, surprising uh, do you mean unusual when you say surprising? Doesn't have to be. No. Um, a, a fun one to grow is a fun, unusual one to grow is uh, something called tromba squash, tromboncino squash. Have you have you come across that? No. Uh, it's really good for fun because it's uh, particularly if you grow in a space which is visible to the public because it produces these squash which are very uh, well you can pick them small and they look and taste quite like a zucchini a courgette um, or you can leave them on the plant and they will grow to over a meter long and they're also extremely phallic oh looking they're extremely <laughs> phallic looking so it's actually quite funny if you grow them you know if you got some space at the front of your house or something you can be sure that you'll get lots of questions about what are those uh, when because they're not obviously they're not for sale in the shops uh, and they taste good as well so uh, and the other benefit of them is that they're brilliant climbers so whereas courgette jets or so zucchini grow these sort of bushy plants that in containers take up quite a lot of space if you're growing in a small space the great thing about uh, this, this tromboncino squash is it grows vertically, it grows up very vigorously. So you really get, it's really good for using, uh, using vertical space. Do I dare ask you to spell it for us? So, so trombo is one word, which is T-R-O-M-B-A, um, or tromboncino, which I think I'm told is Italian for trombone. Uh, trom so is is trombon t-r-o-m-b-o-n and then c-i-n-o they probably look like a trombone if they're that long yes i think that's why they uh apparently in italy they um 
put them in stockings when they get really large they support them in uh, in ladies stockings to to hold them up oh i've seen people do that here with um like pumpkins and things to keep them yeah. like off the ground so they don't get like uh, um like moldy or anything yeah and to take the weight off the plant as well because i think if they're hanging down on the plant you know they can almost like rip the plant because they're so like heavy so i think it's sort of a way of yeah just giving them a bit of extra extra support i've never done that but i've always found they're fine <laughs> without uh, without any extra extra support do you want to talk about microgreens at all why not okay I love I love microgreens. Yeah, I mean microgreens. I think are one of the sort of great gateways into gardening because uh, they they there's so many good things about them. One is they grow really fast, so you don't have to look after them for a long period or or wait uh, a long period to get a harvest. So a lot of them will grow in sort of well even ten days, eight to ten days, but the longer ones the slower ones might take three weeks um so they grow really fast um they are really delicious um when uh yeah they're really delicious and also really nutritious uh and you can grow when you sow them very very close together which means that if you sow like a tray you can grow them in seed trays uh, it means that you can actually harvest a lot of leaves off one tray so even in a very small space, if you can fit in five or six trays, uh, you can actually grow a really pretty serious amount of microgreens, a pretty serious amount of food um, in that amount of space. Uh, I mean, you could pretty much be probably eat a salad every day if you could just have enough space for um, six seed trays. And, and the other good thing about them is they only need like three or four hours of sun a day probably even a bit less actually probably be two or three hours of sun so for all those homes which have balconies which don't get very much sun and unfortunately there's quite a lot of those um microgreens are just a great uh way to to get started uh and even though they're really easy <laughs> i always recommend to start with oh, they're so great i always always i've got several trays of them on the go at the moment actually some pea shoots and some beet shoots uh and also some sunflower shoots Okay, but you say they're easy. And the reason I ask this is because I have struggled to get microgreens to take off. Like, do you have any tips for like doing it successfully? Because I've had them like mold on me and just um, like Are my stepdaughter even came over and like got the whole thing set up for me. And I don't know what happened. They just did not grow. Are you growing them inside, Jackie? Yeah. Or outside? Uh, okay. They were indoors. Okay, I think. I think generally things, I try and grow as many things as possible outside and I recommend if people have got space outside, I mean, obviously not in the middle of the winter, but growing microgreens outside is like loads, loads easier than it is inside because you get much better light. So when the seedlings come up, they grow much stronger and you also get the air movement, which, because um, I think one of the things, because you've got lots of seeds growing very close together, if you get like any sort of fungal infection uh, in the seeds, they're going to spread very, very quickly from, you know, across the whole tray. Whereas outside you have the air movement, which really reduces the possibility of that happening. So that's really what I would recommend is that people grow them, you know, if they can, if they've got space outside, grow them outside as much as they can. Mark, you really know your stuff. Golden seeds you're sharing with us. And you and there's radishes. I didn't even know they had radish microgreens. Yeah, almost anything can be grown as a microgreen. I mean, the, the radish is an incredible one to grow because it, it literally only, um, I think it, it, it normally comes up in about seven days or something like that. So it's really, really fast. And the, the, the secret with microgreens is trying to find somewhere where you can get a large volume of seeds uh, for uh, not too not too expensively. Because if you go and buy small packets of seed from me, from like a gardening shop, you know you're going to get a small packet of radish. You're going to sow half a tray of of you know it's going to be enough for just like half a tray of radish microgreens. But you can buy like you know a pound of radish seeds for sprouting. 
for just like a little bit more of a mat and a pound of radish seeds will probably do you a hundred trays of a hundred trays of uh, radish microgreens it's just amazing how much information you packed into this book and you really go into everything from like pests to you know you've got like calendars in here you've got like you know disease just everything like it's it's just a really nicely laid out book full of valuable information okay so back to my list of questions what is your favorite tool like if you had to move and can only take one tool with you what could you not live without <laughs> well that's a really easy one for me to answer um the it's really only the one only tool well apart from my watering can um the tool i love is a is a trowel and i love it because it's a and the reason why it's so good is that, um, well, it looks aesthetically extremely beautiful. I don't mean brass, I mean copper, sorry. It's a copper trial. Aesthetically, it's it's really, really beautiful. But the thing which makes it brilliant for gardening is it has a very sharp edge on it, which means that if you're like uh, digging up plants in a pot, often you have to cut through roots or something like that, and it just slices through them uh, really easily. And it's one of those pieces of equipment which is is hand is is made in a way that you feel like it, it, I'll be able to pass it down to my children, and they'll probably pass it on to their onto their grandchildren. And you can buy new wooden handles to go on it. Uh, yeah, it's just a beautiful, beautiful piece of equipment, and uh, I love it. Oh, I love that. Um, how about a favorite recipe? What do you like to cook or eat from the garden? Ah, well, <laughs> that's a tricky one. I have, as well as having too many seeds in my house, I have too many cookbooks. <laughs> uh, we love cooking. Uh, well, I love cooking. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, I think we have like different, we have such a wide variety of different foods. But I think one of the things that I really enjoy about growing food is how it's really easy to make something delicious um, very, very simply. So like one thing that we eat all the time is just a simple salad. But if you've got fresh herbs growing outside, like if you've got some tarragon or some basil uh, or some mint leaves, um, you know, if you chop enough, you can mix them up as well. If you add in a few herb leaves into a salad um, and maybe a few edible flowers if you've got them, you suddenly transform just a few basic leaves into something like really delicious. And I know that's not really a recipe, but it's just, <laughs> it's just a way of eating, um, which is really, is really easy. I, I just find that with, with her, just herbs are so great from that perspective. I mean, you know, the other thing you, we do a lot is um, if we're eating eggs, you know, we can make an omelette. And again, if you've got herbs in the garden, if you chop chives uh, or some sorrel, um, or some dill, uh, just chop it up and add it into the omelette. I mean, it's it's so easy. It's not really even a recipe. But again, you're just transforming something really simple like an egg into something you could be served in a, a restaurant. I know, right? Doesn't it like baffle you when people don't grow herbs? It just blows my mind away. And like you said, if you go out there like every single time, it's going to be different because you're going to like maybe have a little more sorrel one day or going to have a little more rosemary one day. Like every time it's going to be a little bit different and it makes it like exciting. It's like an adventure, like a mystery. And yet like it's mouthwatering. And like you said, it's going to be more like something you would expect to get from a restaurant as compared to, um, you know, just an ordinary egg or omelet or something. That's a perfect answer. Yeah, I think, How... um, go on, sorry. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that um, I think one of the wonderful things about growing herbs is it changes your, you, you learn how to use herbs because I think before you grow them, people tend to sort of buy them just occasionally. They're making a special meal because they're quite expensive and you don't really learn how to use them. So when you start growing them, there's a bit of a process of like, oh, I've got all this mint. What am I going to do with it? But actually over time you learn um, and we now almost every meal that we eat pretty much has herbs in it in some some form or other. Whereas 
before I started growing, I'd probably eat herbs once or twice a month, I guess. Maybe it's just because I grew up, my mom always putting fresh herbs in our food. Do you have any, like, like at the beginning of your chapter on eight steps to success, you have this beautiful picture of blueberries. Like, I also struggle with blueberries. Got any tips? And I'm thinking of putting them in containers this year. I think blueberries are one of those things which are quite um, hit or miss. And um, I don't really understand why. <laughs> Uh, I, I have four blueberry plants in the front of the house. Two of them are doing really well, and two of them aren't doing very well. And <laughs> I wish I could tell you why. <laughs> it's one of the great mysteries, isn't it, of growing? But sometimes, sometimes you can rationalise what's happening, and other times you can't. And I can't explain to you why. I, I, I do think that they, they do do well in containers, because obviously they like acid compost. Uh, and so you can give them that. Um, I do think the compost, as with all these things that you use, does make a big difference. So I think, you know, they, they like to, it to be really well draining. Um, but apart from that, I mean, all the advice is you should always grow more than one as well, two varieties, and that can really help yields. Uh, but I can't give you, <laughs> I can give you the secret of blueberries because my experience would be sometimes they're really good and sometimes they're not. <laughs> to be honest with you, Mark, that actually makes me feel a lot better because one of the reasons I'm like so stuck on this blueberry thing is my neighbor has like these incredible blueberry plants. And I'm just so frustrated because I've been trying to grow them for like four years now. No, I know that my pH, my soil is like super alkaline and they want acidic soil i think is the problem they i know they want like a 4.5 and my soil's like an eight point something and i keep oh, adding well, that, compost and adding different yeah. things to try to like make my soil more alkaline i think but so that's part of why i'm thinking of like going to the container route next year yeah. because i can just like start off with the right soil instead of trying to change the soil because i have yet to get a blue like a, all right maybe i've gotten like one or two blueberries but i've yet to get like a you know, a cup full of blueberries. And it's been like four years now. And last year I bought three really good plants. And the only one that even like still looked healthy at the end of the year was one that was still in the pot that I had put under like some row cover with my kale. Yeah. And it was just sitting on the side of the bed. And it seemed to be like the others almost looked like they were dead by the end of the year. Like they barely had any leaves left. They, you know, certainly didn't produce any blueberries and just were like looking like they were barely hanging in there so yeah i think i think acid i think acid soil will make a really big difference because i think from what i'm told they're one of the plants which really does make a big they really do need acid soil and the other thing which helps i don't know what it's like um for you but um the tap water in the uk is generally a bit alkaline so it's always recommended mm. to use um if you can to use water that you've collected rainwater um, I've got a barrel uh, that I collect all the rainwater off the roof so watering them with uh, rainwater um, really helps interesting uh we'll have to try that because we have a couple of barrels of rainwater that we always collect how about a favorite internet resource where do you find yourself surfing on the web mm. I used to do a lot <laughs> and these days uh, these days I try and stay away from the internet um right we can come back to that question okay. how about a book you want to recommend uh gosh so many books so many books I really have you had Nigel Palmer on your show no no I've, but I've really heard of him yeah, I really enjoyed his book. He's another Chelsea Green writer, actually. He wrote a book uh, last year on garden amendments, which is like homemade fertilizers, homemade ways to sort of make fertilizers at home. But they are all using things you can often find in cities like um, mussel shells and oyster shells and that sort of thing. Um, I really like another book I really like when I start off. It's quite an old book now, but it's called How High Yield Gardening, How to Get More from Your Garden Space and More from Your Gardening Season by Marjorie Hunt and Brenda Bortz. And it's just a great book for anyone who's got a small space 
variety of ways to grow more in that space and it covers everything from growing things in winter to creating structures to grow things vertically um to different crops and how high yielding they all are um so yeah particularly when i was starting off i found that a really good source of ideas for growing more food in a small space you actually have lots of great resources in the back of your book. Like I see Nigel Palmo's book and the um, High Yield Gardening one here among many other awesome ones like Jeff Lowenfeld's Teaming with Microbes and The Intelligent Gardener, The Warm Farmer's Handbook. And then you've got a bunch of cool websites here. Let's talk about your website, verticalveg.org.uk and your book. Anything that we haven't talked about about your book that you want to share with listeners? Uh, I guess there's a couple of things I'd like to mention about the book. One is that um, one of my inspirations for writing it was that when I started growing food in the city, I found a, a lot of the container gardening books I, I read, but they were very useful and they helped me in lots of ways. But often they didn't address the particular challenges I was facing in the city like I had a very windy balcony, um, I found compost, I didn't have a car, I found the compost hard to get there and books were telling me I needed to replace my compost every year. Um, so I've got a whole section in the book on the challenges that people face, the common challenges people face when they're gardening in the city um, and how to overcome them. And there's also a chapter, the other thing, and the chapter I enjoyed most writing actually, is all the different ways in which um, so that's the challenges, but all the different ways that people, uh, you can get benefit out of growing food in the city. So we've already talked about the, um, about, you know, the, just better food to eat. But I also cover things like um, connecting with people in your community, about uh, the, suspense, the sustainability side of it, and how also you can use growing to support wildlife in your area. And it's lovely to be able to go outside and watch uh bees and birds and that sort of thing um how you can use it to save money uh for fragrance for beauty um so all the different ways really in which growing can can add to your life uh so yeah i just yeah i just wanted to add, add that that is also in the book because they're just things that i guess have been quite special special for me over the years are these pictures really all in your I mean there's the bird bath there's this cool growing table with like all the soil tucked away underneath like it's just super organized like is this really all in your garden it's amazing that you have everything here and I love like the plants on the ladders and I, it's just incredible how much you have going on but yet it just looks so beautiful and and put together well and organized and just tons of stuff in a very small space. Well, thank, thank you, Jackie. That's, uh, I mean, it's, it's obviously the, the photographs are from two places. So some of the ones are from my front yard here, and then some of them are from my balcony uh, when I grew um, in London. Um, if I could just say one thing about the website that people sometimes find quite useful is that um, I know the seasons are slightly different, but they're a little bit similar is that I do, because people I know are often not, uh, it's particularly when people start off, it can be a bit confusing about what to do each month. Uh, so I always send out, like I have a, a mailing list and I send out an email each month for what, uh, you know, what sort of jobs to do that month um, in the container garden to sort of remind people and just also like updates on um, any new blog posts or I do sort of podcasts like, you know, like you're doing this, I do not anywhere near as regularly as you, Jackie, but I do uh, do podcasts. I mean, everything is just really on the blog is on the website is really focused on growing food in containers. Um, and most of the people are growing in the city, um, although people, you know, there are people also who just due to their circumstances are living outside the city in the country. And actually, it's just most convenient to grow in containers um, for a variety of reasons. Um, but it's just focused, yeah, it's just focused on small space uh, container growing. Mark, thank you so much for sharing with us today and, and putting this book together and your website and your email. 
Um, that's a great thing. Good for you for doing that. I actually feel like I'm like the worst because like when it comes to like promoting my podcast or getting any of those other things done, like my email list, even my Facebook group, I feel really bad about because I just like you, the getting online anymore, especially after I've been home in the pandemic for two years, I it like all to do to get my computer out. So <laughs> unless it's like absolutely like, you know, something scheduled. So yeah. thank you for doing all that. And that's a handy thing to have an email come that says, these are some of the tests. Like I just got this Martha Stewart organizing book and I want to buy it. I got it out of the library. I'm like, I want to buy it just for her calendars that say, these are the, you know, cleaning yeah. floors in February, or like, this is when you should polish your tools, or this is what you should do. <laughs> you know, she goes through everything from like laundry to the garden, but um, yeah. things like that are so important and so helpful. So, and again, this book is just packed full of information listeners. So get a copy of it. It's coming out soon, right? Like March 24th. Although by the time this episode posted, it should be out already. Yeah. And yeah, uh, March 24th. Exactly. Yeah. When you get your book, make sure that you leave Mark a five-star review because that will help other people get it. And you know, listeners, we want everybody out there growing their own food, putting gardens in, growing those herbs so they bring in pollinators and beneficial insects for other people's gardens and just making our planet a better place. So thank you so much, Mark, for sharing with us today. Thanks so much for having me, Jackie. It's been lovely talking to you. Oh, you too. Okay. Hey everybody, don't forget to help me support The Gentle Barn by signing up to donate at organicgardenerpodcast.com slash gentle. That's organicgardenerpodcast.com backslash gentle. Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening and remember, grow local.